Hello, what is going on? Good evening, good morning, good afternoon in some places. Today we are going to learn a lot because we're going to talk about rattlesnakes. Yeah, personally, when I when I hear a word rattlesnake, I think of Stone Cold Steve Austin straight away, Texas rattlesnake, if you are into wrestling. But anyway, today we have a rattlesnake expert. Uh, Brian, how are you doing? Hi. Doing great. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So how many rattlesnakes have you seen today? <laughs> today? Well, it's been a slow day, so I haven't been in the field yet, but so I just did uh, some some cage cleaning and feeding. So maybe uh, 20 rattlesnakes or so today. But by the time I go to sleep tonight, I, I expect to add at least 10 to 20 more uh, wild rattlesnakes to that tally. But you are trying to raise awareness and educate people about rattlesnakes uh, mm -hmm. as, I don't want to say it's a problem, but it could become a problem when people don't know anything about rattlesnakes. And because of this, they make reckless decisions. And mm -hmm. it also becomes a problem when, you know, for the snake species, and it could be a huge problem for us people as well. Yeah, so where, where I live, it's north, uh, well, actually I live in, in uh, the area of Phoenix, Arizona. So we have a lot of rattlesnakes here. And if you have a house around the outskirts of Phoenix, then rattlesnakes in your backyard or in your garage or similar, that is a very real, real possibility. It happens every day. So when people are overly scared or irrationally scared of them, creates danger for them because they're not going to react rationally. They act out of fear and that can get them in trouble. And then also, of course, the, the snakes are often killed or, or mishandled because of that fear as well. When, you know, people that do not fear them don't lose their lives or pets or family members any more than people that, uh, that do fear them. So it's really a useless, useless emotion, but unfortunately very common. Well, let's start from the very beginning. As, as I said, like you're trying to raise awareness, you know, educate people. But what is it exactly what you're doing? As I understand it, it, it involves so many different things, you know, going to the wild, you know, exploring, you know, giving maybe lessons to people. What, what is it exactly? Yeah, so we, we basically just use, um, I, I started this in 2010 just because I liked rattlesnakes. I liked reading about them. I liked going to look for them in the wild. And it was right after the, the big housing market bubble burst. And you know, I, I found myself in that group that was laid off from my job. So it was kind of all skills on deck, trying to figure out what to do. And I got a phone call to catch a baby snake called a, a coach whip in somebody's yard or in the garage here. And, and uh, she was very scared of it. And I realized at that time that um, you know, not only was there a potential job in this for me, but also there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, so the primary thing that we do is we work within that interface between um, where people and snakes run into each other. Most of the time, the people do not want to meet that snake. Every time the, the snake does not want to meet that person. So we have a lot of different activities that are related to solving that, um, that we charge for. Um, you know, that's how we make our money is from removing snakes from people's yards and installing yeah, okay. things like snake fencing to keep them out. But really that ultimately goes into paying or funding anyway, educational programs, training, and a lot of research of wild snakes. Well, I'm definitely one of those people who don't want to 
do anything with the snakes. Right. Um, I'm, I'm fat. Don't get me. Don't get me wrong. I am very fascinated about the snakes. You know, about the rattlesnakes, king cobras, you name it. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested about them. But when it becomes, when I see snakes in wild, which I haven't seen any yet, mm -hmm. that's when everything stops. You know, I need to get away from the snake. Yeah, and that that makes sense too. I mean, I, I the fear of snakes is very real. You know, it's not something that it doesn't do anyone that's trying to educate people about snakes any good to to dismiss it if someone is scared mm -hmm. of snakes. Um, what's really important is to kind of evaluate where it came from. So uh, if you didn't grow up around rattlesnakes, I'm guessing you did not, um, then all you have to rely on that is feeding that uh, expectation of what would happen if a rattlesnake is there would be uh, stories and media and movies this, they create that expectation. So in that way, if you are thinking about, okay, you're going to go for a hike and you're worried about running into a rattlesnake, the thing you're actually fearing is not the actual snake. You're fearing what you imagine that snake to be. You're fearing what you expect to happen when you run into it. And that's kind of where the challenge is, is that it's almost like a mythical monster that's based on a real animal. And to try to reconcile those the people that are willing, which is a whole other aspect of this, a lot of people like to be scared. They don't really know it, but it's part of their persona. Yeah. That's a big challenge. But on the other hand, if a snake is like behind the glass, behind the gates, mm -hmm. I'm completely fine with it. You know, I can be really close to the snake as long as I have this protective wall, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, is it funny? <laughs> I mean, it's a. Uh, it makes sense. You're you're safe in that case, and you can investigate it. And there, there are a lot of people that can't even do that. They just, they, once the snake is, uh, um, any, any visual of it, even a photograph, I've had family members um, unfriend me on Facebook because I post too many pictures of snakes and I just can't stand to, to look at them. So they definitely occupy a very specific part of our collective, uh, you know, the, the minds of our culture, I guess, is the way to put it. What would you say is more dangerous, uh, people to the snakes, you know, let's say rattlesnakes or rattlesnakes to the people? Uh, people to the snakes by far. Um, so that conflict, it almost, if, if that's going to happen and there's going to be some, some attempted exchange of death between these two creatures, then humans always win. You know, they have, they, we shoot them and we hit them with shovels and stuff. The snakes can mm -hmm. bite people, but you know, just looking at the, the numbers of it, I mean, every single day, including today, I receive text messages and emails from people who have uh, proudly uh, killed a snake, uh, whether out hiking or anywhere, and want to know more, you know, what it was, um, where rattlesnakes killing people is, is almost unheard of these days in the United States. Um, the treatment is so good. It's not that bites can happen, but I also know that if if the tendency for people to not run up and attack snakes every time they saw they saw one were not the case, then that number will go down quite a bit. It's an interesting thing is that this is a thing that people fear, but they also seem to not be able to withhold running up and interacting with these things. They think they're doing something good by killing them, but they're just putting themselves in danger. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated equation there. Well, there's definitely nothing to be proud of if you kill a snake or any yeah. kind of animal. I absolutely hate that. And it, quite frankly, it pisses me off when people yeah. are posting, you know, 
some people are actually proud, and I just don't get it. I really don't. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think that the snakes, it's because people fear them. They kind of become, and this, this is maybe just something I tell myself so I can, you know, not burn out because every day, it's like if you worked with dogs and every single day people were sending you pictures of dogs with their heads sawed off, you know, mm. it, it can get to you. But I, I think what, what happens with the snakes is that it's, they're such a, a compelling vehicle for people to kind of tell you about themselves. So if, if some guy thinks that he's a, he's really interesting or he's an outdoorsy or adventurous person, he might go out of his way to come and say they're, they're good to eat. I kill them and make hat bands out of them, or I kill them just to protect my, my, you know, just, just for the heck of it. That's, he's using the snake in that way. And just like a homeowner might, um, you know, he might tell you that he kills every snake he sees to protect his, his kids and his pets. And, but what he's really telling you is that he sees himself as somebody that's a protector of his family and a self-sufficient person. You know, so when I look at it that way and, and look at the snakes as just a, a way that people can convey other aspects of what they perceive themselves to be, it makes it a lot easier to work with. I mean, it's hard to teach people about snakes um, that don't want to know about them, but it's a lot easier to deal with these other things. It's, it's just marketing. It's classic marketing. You're just trying to figure out what they want and then phrase the, <laughs> phrase yeah. the messaging in a way that uh, delivers that to them. So you can provide an alternative experience using the same information. And then the same person may very well protect every snake they see because it does exactly the same thing for them. It makes them feel like they're that person. Well, the fact is that, you know, rattlesnakes or any snake, they just want to live their own life. And as you said, they are not looking for humans. It's not like they, they think, oh, I wonder where John lives so I could go there and fight the guy. You know, most people get bit because they accidentally or purposely get too close. And if you approach the snake without knowing what you're doing, you pay the price. Yeah, pretty much. And, and you know, all, all accidents are that way. If, if people weren't intentionally trying to go after them, then all you'd have left are accidents. And the way you approach avoiding accidents is a very different thing than when you self against a predator that's out to get you. Um, you know, when people ask me how they get too hung up over, um, you know, which snake is most toxic or which one is the most aggressive, the metaphor I usually use for that is, well, you know, which which uh, chemical in your house is is the most aggressive? Well, none of them are, you know. But if every time you saw a bottle of bleach. You had, a, you had this urge to run over and start drinking it. <laughs> then bleach becomes the most dangerous thing in your house. And snakes are kind of like that. They're all over the place. They're actually really easy to avoid. They even help you because they have a rattle and they'll let you know when they're too close. They're really easy to avoid. But if you can just not go mess with them, it's the hardest thing and also should seem to be the easiest thing to get across. But yeah, they, they're just trying to avoid dying <laughs> like all animals are. Um, so... You know, I, I have no idea why logically I even have a job, but um, there is a problem there. <laughs> well, they're definitely not going to chase you. Well, you, Never do. well you mentioned that, uh, you know, rattlesnakes, you know, entering the buildings and homes. You know, how common is it exactly? Does it um, really happen that often? So they're mostly in the, in the yards of, of, of people. So near the front door, in the backyard, that kind of thing. It happens a lot. Um, actually, right now, while we're talking, uh, two of our field agents are in different parts of the Phoenix Valley uh, capturing snakes in people's yards. So it happens all okay. the time. You know, but keep in mind, there are uh, millions of people here, yeah, lots of snakes. So that interaction 
happens. Um, but when they come inside, that's very rare. Uh, maybe one in every 400 or to 700 snakes that we catch is actually inside of a house. And it's always because they left the door open. The snakes don't want to come in. They just think it's a free cave. Yeah. So why not? And what, what happens next? Uh, you find a snake in a yard or garden. What, what, what are you going to do with the snakes? Well, what's going to happen next? Well, we catch it first. That's the first thing. That's actually the easiest part is catching it. Um, the real thing we want to figure out is why it's there. Um, we think that, you know, it's right. the, the best thing you can do if you want to avoid having snakes in your property is to not worry too much about the one you just saw, but worry about why it's there and preventing the next one. In yards and around people's homes, those answers are usually pretty, pretty obvious. It's because they've left something in the yard, whether it be decorative or something else, some maintenance needs to be done. That is very useful to wildlife. It's food, water, shelter, a uh, place to hide from the sun. Those are all things that these animals use. So when people provide them, then wildlife is going to show up. So we try to work with the homeowner to educate them on those reasons and give them some tips so they never have to see a snake again. And they never have to see me again either. You know, we're all, <laughs> we, we want to make every, every trip we go on um, our last one to that home. If, if we do our job right and the homeowners listen to us, then there's no reason for snakes to show up there again. Um, and but, then we have to release the snake and that's, that's tricky too. But in which way, why is it tricky? Does it need to be a specific area? Yeah, we need, we want the snake to survive or else we're not really, you know, not doing any good. Um, yeah. but we also want the snake to not return to that home and we want the snake to not become a problem for somebody else. And when you're dealing with a pretty urbanized um, area, that can be tricky. You can't just throw it into the nearest available desert. So um, one of the things that I am actually researching um, in some of the, the wild areas here is a thing called microhabitat selection or temporal mi microhabitat selection, which is just the, it means where do they want to be and when. So if we catch a speckled rattlesnake and it's July and it's pregnant, then we know that we need to look for very specific areas to release them in. And that changes based on each species and based on the season and its condition. So we work within this matrix of uh, their behavior and available habitat to carefully find and insert them into those situations. Uh, each one is different. Every time you catch a snake, it's an entirely right. different place you have to release it to. So um, it, it's a skill we've developed over the years and we're trying to document it in a way that we can um, pass this knowledge on to other organizations that do this type of work. But if I find a baby snake in a, in a garden, does it mean I have a nest somewhere close by? Um, rattlesnakes, no. If you so rattlesnakes give live birth, they don't lay eggs, and they don't really they make a I guess you could call it a nest, but it's very temporary. So if you see a baby rattlesnake and you want to know if there's others, it'll be immediately obvious because it will be in a little pile of baby rattlesnakes. That's what right. I know. Once that ends, once that period of time ends, they all strike out on their own and wander to go figure out how life works. So um, depending on the time of year, if it's later in the year, if you see a baby rattlesnake in your yard, it may actually be the opposite. Uh, you may actually have more of a chance of it being a completely random event. And that's just because those babies, they're just wandering. They're just trying to figure it out where an adult rattlesnake it is there for a very specific reason. There's something that's attracted it. It has something to do. It smelled a female in the area, something like that. The babies are just, you know, we get them all over the place just because of that. So yeah, if you see a baby, consider it a one-off. Have you heard about the snake island in Brazil? The snake, oh yes. Snake, yeah, where the golden, golden lands Oh head. yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's absolutely crazy you know only scientists are allowed to go yeah <laughs> that would be awesome i would i would love to do that uh, i i visited other islands not that one but there are there's actually a lot of islands that are kind of like that maybe not when those in that density but um uh, I've, I've visited a number of islands in uh, the coast of uh, Baja, California in Mexico. And I'm going to be doing that again this year. And each of these islands is uninhabited and is home to uh, a number of endemic rattlesnakes that live there in high numbers that are just on the beach as soon as you show up. And it's just, a, it's a wild time. Well, is there anything I can really do to keep rattlesnakes away from my garden? Um, the biggest thing that you can do is just to look at the yard as habitat. So if you hmm. have a lush garden with lots of shade opportunities and water and, and there's rodents coming and going and you maybe have a bird feeder and stuff like that, um, it may be beautiful and it may be a nice place to hang out, but you're not the only one that thinks so. Um, it's like if, if, you, if you left cheeseburgers on your front patio, I, I might show up, right? It's, you're leaving things out that things find useful so they show up and do it. So it's kind of a choice in that way. People that keep very sparse yards that don't water plants and don't have a lot of lush opportunities for, um, for shade are going to see fewer rattlesnakes. That does, of course, mean that you are trading in that aesthetic, that, uh, that nice, cool yard to hang out in, but you at least don't have rattlesnakes. So everybody needs to kind of find where they fit along, you know, is maybe you, you have a beautiful yard and you maybe see two rattlesnakes a year. Uh, versus one that is like the surface of Mars and you see none ever, but you don't like it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a decision yeah. in there. Um, and you can install, we do a thing called rattlesnake fencing, which is a thing we've designed um, where we just use metal and um, can modify gates and fences to make it so that rattlesnakes can't climb over them. If I find a rattlesnake in a garden or house, mm -hmm. I think the answer is quite obvious if I'm honest, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What should I do? Would you say it's still best to call an expert to remove the snake? Or is there a safe way to do it myself? What, what should I do? So there are organizations that can teach you how to do it. Um, and there's lots of them that, that, do, that like, do that very well. It's actually not that hard. Um, the, the number one thing you can do that is actually the safest, and it, this kind of goes against what might seem common sense, yeah. is to do nothing at all. Um, so the snake is there because it is on its, it's part of its territory. It's part of its rounds. It's like when you go, you know, in your day, you have a territory, you have the place you like to get breakfast and a place you eat lunch and a place you go grocery shopping. If one of those areas you go to, you get attacked and you keep getting attacked at it, you'll mark it off the list. You'll find another place and snakes are kind of the same way. So if the snake is there, it is there temporarily, it will leave. And if you approach it, then you're, all you're doing is, is entering yourself, you're entering a possibility of danger where the snake will move on. And in, you can entirely focus that energy on figuring out why it was there. So if it's, I'll give you an example. If a snake is in your backyard and it is hanging out near a birdbath that you have set up, the yes. snake is not your problem. It seems like it's your problem. The birdbath is the problem. So the safest thing to do and the most effective thing to do is get, wait till the snake goes away. It may take a couple of days and then get rid of the birdbath. You know, it, it, it's something that it's not as emotionally satisfying to a lot of people um, than it is to like, well, I know for sure I fixed the problem because I've caught or killed the snake, but it is a procedural one. Meaning that if, if you catch or kill that snake, but don't fix the birdbath, then it's just a matter of time before there's another snake there. 
if you fix the reason, then that snake will leave and it will have no reason to come back either. It won't, it won't come back and just sit there where the birdbath was hoping it, it will go and no others will show up. So that's kind of what we encourage is, you know, we will relocate them and catch them, but all energy from the homeowner should be going towards figuring out and solving the, the original problem. I was just wondering how far they usually travel. I, I assume it's not going to be really that far. Or it could depends it on which species and where they're at. So like um, if all the resources they need are in just kind of a, a like compact space, then it may just be, you know, uh, you know, 50 meters square. Uh, right. If it's a, a diamondback and a larger snake and it has larger areas to, to get to where it needs to get the food, it could be, you know, more than a, a mile. So it really depends. There's no uh, one thing, but they will adapt their home range towards, um, you know, being able to get all those things that they need. And also, they don't really seem to be fast from what I've seen, you know, compared to the Black Mamba, who can move yeah. around like 16 kilometers per hour, which is about, I think, nine or 10 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to rattlesnakes, it seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be more like sudden fast movements, you know, just for a second, and then they kind of like slow down again. again yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Their bodies are not athletic. Um, they have a, they're, they're, they're wide, heavy bodied animals that move relatively slowly compared to other snakes that are made to be kind of a, a spring trap. They, they lie in ambush until prey comes near and then they very quickly, fa- faster than your eye can, can recognize, um, strike out and, and, and attack so the so, prey. So there's no way I could react fast enough to dodge the strike. You could not. And that's the, that's the funny thing. There is, there are people that feel that they can, but it is feel, uh, it is impossible by the time that, so let's say a snake is striking, it's begun the strike and you can see it by the time that that, that, that sense has relayed that to your brain and your brain has sent the signal through your nervous system to move your hand and avoid it. You've already been bit. It, it happens incredibly quickly. Um, so the, the, it's, it's like a little landmine where the easiest thing to do is just don't get near it. Don't stand within that radius and you're completely safe. They can't, they're not going to come and jump and chase you. But if you, whether by accident or otherwise, put yourself into that zone of uh, where a strike can get you, then you're really at the mercy of the, what the snake wants to do, which fortunately they're pretty lenient. Would you be able to tell when they're about to strike? You know, like a body movement, are they doing anything just before they strike? For the most part, you can because they they go through a number of other steps when they can. You know, it's not to say that they always rattle or coil before they strike. They certainly mm-hmm. can do that at any time, but typically they will try to do other things first. Striking is kind of a last resort. They don't want to waste their venom and it can actually injure them. Their heads are very uh, fragile. The bones are very fragile. If they lose a fang or get injured, they can you know they, they can miss a meal or die. So usually, yeah, that classic photograph or that classic image you're probably picturing when you think of a rattlesnake is um, uh, when they're standing up tall and they are, um, you know, rattling and, and looking at you, um, trying to look as menacing as they possibly can. But the good thing about rattlesnake is they really are recognizable. If, if you get bit, you know what you're dealing with. You know, unfortunately, they blend into the environment. But you can hear the rattlesnake if you're getting close closer to the snake. You hear the rattle. But yeah, how, you do. How it's really loud, too. I mean, it's actually like very, very loud. 
Um, How far can you hear? Think. Yeah. I mean, do you hear that little noise in the background right now, actually? I think I can actually, yeah. Let me see if I can get it. I have a rattlesnake that's right here. Let me see if I can. It's, it's not really loud, but I can hear something. I'll put this up here. Oh, that's loud. That's loud now. There you go. I had a, a video interview uh, yesterday, so I had a rattlesnake in a box so I could show that off. And he's still in the box, <laughs> so I'll be taking him out today. But yeah, it's it's a it's made to be noticeable. They do not want to fight with you. So they first they'll try to just stay hidden and try to avoid uh, being seen. Um, if that doesn't work, then they'll usually just try to flee. They'll just try to get away. But if it seems like they're going to be attacked um, from their perspective, then they'll they'll raise up. They'll try to be as intimidating as they possibly can. They'll pose and face you and um, put their tongue into the air. If none of those things work, then they'll then they'll strike and envenomate. Um, but most of the time, people have um, quite a bit of chances uh, to get away by then. Even if they accidentally step very close to the snake, suddenly notice it's there. Um, okay most of the time the snake is still not going to strike even if it starts to rattling it starts to rattle it still will hang out and hopefully you'll go away one thing i wonder if there are a few rattlesnakes around and there you know the rattle sounds coming from every direction where where um, do you go i'd be scared to move as i can't tell where the <laughs> bloody snake is so i've had that happen a number of times just at, at dens and stuff and kind of the the go-to answer that is the most safe is that so first, if, if you're there and there's a rattle, if there's one or many or whatever, don't try to like back up slowly. That's what people advise doing sometimes. They say back up slowly. Don't do that. They're pit vipers. They can see you very clearly. <laughs> don't. That, you're not, that's what I've heard people say. Yeah, they're not asking. They're saying, get away from me right now. So the safest path, if you don't see it immediately, the safest path is usually just the way you came. So if you are going down the trail and suddenly there's rattlesnakes rattling and you don't know where, just take several steps right back the way you came as, as fast as you can. And, and you're, you're almost certainly avoided um, any problems. They will not come towards you. They're not going to chase you. They're not going to jump at you, anything like that. Well, luckily, or unfortunately, I guess it depends what you ask. We don't have any rattlesnakes here in the UK yeah. or in Estonia where I was born. You know, as a matter of fact, we only have one venomous snake here, which is Hatter. Yeah. And yeah. as far as I know, it's not really this dangerous to people you know obviously it will be painful as hell but unless you are very young a child elderly or ill there are very good chance you actually will be fine that's what i've heard it, and it would be very painful and, and probably expensive um there they are mm -hmm. also pit vipers and pretty uh toxic so um you know i'm, I'm actually next year i'm going to be going to uh, the balkans to look for uh the relatives of, of your snake there and um, yeah. they're, they're, they actually have a lot of similar traits and habits to our rattlesnakes. They den in social groups. They have similar cryptic coloring and, and similar social and uh, other behaviors. So I find them very fascinating. I think that there's the, that body form exists all throughout the world. They just aren't, uh, you know, when you add that rattle to the end, it tends to, that presence makes it more scary to people than when a snake like uh, uh, an adder can, um, just kind of it can slink around unknown and it, it never has that intimidating um posturing that a large rattlesnake has i think that's why they just live so large in, in people's brains how venomous uh rattlesnakes really are you know if i get bit you know obviously look for the medical help but right. if i don't 
get medical help straight away. I'm in the middle of nowhere, for example. What are my chances to survive or is it bye-bye? Um, there is a strong chance you could die if you have a, uh, uh, if you have a good envenomation and there's no mm -hmm. available help. But it's, you, you have more like it's hours, not minutes. Um, usually in that, in that time, you're able to um, go find, um, get some help or at least get somebody that has cell phone access so that you could, um, um, you know, get a helicopter. That's usually what happens here is that even uh, in, in the U.S., there's, a, there's enough cell phone coverage to where if someone's bitten, even if it's out in the middle of nowhere, usually they can get somebody to call for help and a helicopter is going to come. Um, there are situations people can put themselves in where that's not the case. But in, in those circumstances where you somebody puts themselves far out in the wilderness where there's no cell phone access, no communications, they don't have a satellite phone, they're not telling anyone where they're going, they have no plan essentially, then a rattlesnake is no nothing more to worry about than a, a broken ankle or any of the other things that can happen to you outdoors. So you know, I would say if you're in the United States and uh, you're gonna go anywhere, it is very easy to put together a plan that would make it so that a rattlesnake bite is completely survivable. Very few people very uh, die from them if they can reach help, even if it's hours later, um, just because the treatment is, is very good for them these days. And uh, the doctors, especially in places like here in Arizona, where we have so many rattlesnakes, uh, they all have seen it, they all know what to do. So it is not like it was before. Uh, I'm sure, you know, 200 years ago, that's kind of where our culture of fear of them comes from as a rattlesnake bite was very likely a death sentence, especially if for a child or, or, or a smaller person uh, or someone that doesn't have as much uh, fat on their body where they just, uh, they're very efficient. Um, yeah, rattlesnakes could, could definitely kill a person a lot easier. I've actually heard that, you know, some snakes will give you, you know, there's a possibility that they give you a dry bite. You know, they don't inject any venom. It can happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that they, they can do. I mean, they don't want to waste that venom. That's, that's how they eat. That's how they make their money. They need that venom. Mm. So if they don't have it, then they can pass up a meal. And as an ambush predator, they only get so many chances to where a mouse just happens to run straight past them. So they will risk their life, which is sometimes um, to, to not expend that venom on a, on a potential predator um, to, to do that. The other thing is that venom doesn't necessarily provide a, a massive um, defensive um, capability because if let's say that a snake is being attacked by a bobcat and, and manages to envenomate the bobcat, there is a lot of time between when that strike occurs and when the venom is, is going to be debilitating towards that, that uh, predator. Uh, in, in which time the, the, the cat is still attacking the snake. It doesn't stop them and it doesn't knock them out of the air and, and to stop them immediately. So um, it is a defensive, a thing they'll use in defense, but whenever possible, they'll, they'll not do that. And that does include dry bites. But if I don't get medical help straight away, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, is there anything I could do to help myself to survive? You know, again, if I don't have a chance to call anyone, um, not really. And it's, it's, people don't like this answer a lot because I think people like to, uh, you know, be self-sufficient, especially outdoors people. That's the whole point of it, right? Is, is being able to put together a plan to live off the land and be self-sufficient, yeah. but it, it's an internal injury, you know? So if I were to say, 
if I took a syringe full of bleach, I like going to bleach because it's a thing everyone's familiar with. But uh, you know, somebody, if I took a, a large syringe full of bleach and injected it into your bloodstream, what would you do to make it so that that wouldn't kill you? There's really nothing. There's not much you can do, right? Um, yeah. There are a lot of old cowboy remedies of cutting the, the wound open and sucking the venom out and using a tourniquet and that kind of thing. All of those actually make the situation worse. So your best bet, if I were bitten by a rattlesnake and I was out in the middle of nowhere, okay, uh, and there's a big asterisk on this for anybody that's, that's listening, don't uh, take my advice over a doctor or anything, <laughs> um, I would try my best to remain as calm as I can, as hydrated as I can, and lie down and try to just let my body do the work. Let my body try to process that and, and get it out of my body, body with the, the, uh, the least amount of resistance possible. And then trying to, um, to keep the wound and the, the, the um, necrotic mess that's sure to come yeah. um, from being infected which would also be a major source of death. If you were, you know, 200 years ago, if you survive the venom, you now have a massive wound of rotting tissue on your body that is prone to infection that can kill you as well. So, um, you know, yeah, thank you. Thanks for, for modern medicine. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing very good without, without any of that. Well, I'm sure you've seen all those movies where people kind of suck the venom out of the wound and so mm -hmm. on. So I assume it's not really realistic. It's just a movie trick. It doesn't doesn't get anything out. I mean, there are like devices you can buy at, at outdoor stores that are they're made. They're venom extractors. They're made to be able to do that, and all that they don't actually extract venom. They're they're um, they're pulling out liquid, but it's uh, lymph and and uh, um, cytoplasm and, and other stuff that happens when you have an injury, um, but it's not venom, and that can actually make those worse. So, I mean, the the number one thing I in my website and all of our communications with people. We'll never put together a list of here's what you do if you're bitten by a rattlesnake. Here's the tools you need. It's there's one thing and one tool. Your only tool is a cell phone, and the only thing you do with it is you call 911 or call the emergency services, and that is uh, that is your best bet. Everything else is just trying to make you feel better. But um, you know, one thing people should keep in mind though too is if when you do get help, almost everybody survives. It is incredibly rare to die from a rattlesnake bite not just per capita, um, but, but per bite. Um, bite deaths in the United States are incredibly rare. So try to keep calm. And the way to do that is just to remember that, that you will live, you will be okay. In almost every case, you'll be fine. So, um, you know, some people are able to do that, some are not, but that's a one tool you can use is just a mental one. And most people definitely have mobile phones with them all the time. Yeah, that's... Days. That's one one benefit of uh you know of these days is that a, a call for help is not hard yeah. to, to come by and if that person doesn't have one um, send someone else a lot of people hike in, in small groups you know one trick that I do when I'm out in the in the field um, you know this weekend I'm going to be in areas where we don't have a lot of cell phone service and easy I get a lot of emails I'm sure everyone gets a lot of spam emails and all that stuff now too. The easiest way to tell if you look at your phone and find that there's no cell phone service where you're at is check your email and figure and look when the keep your your email on push so that you keep getting email when it's in your pocket and you're not requesting it. And that way you can look and you can see what time you got that last email and backtrack. And you can look at okay, 
I got a spam message 20 minutes ago. 20 minutes ago, I was about up on that ridge right there. So now you, you have a general approximation of where cell phone access is. You know, if you're miles deep in the, in the, in the desert, you're not gonna be able to get back to the car, but you at least then have a, an achievable um, place that you know you can call for help. So that's what I do. But most people actually, they, they don't think about these things. It's, it's a really good trick. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of this myself too. So it's a lot of this, uh, I, I love snakes. I don't want to be killed by one. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I pay a lot of attention on how to, how to prevent that. Have you had any close calls though? Uh, quite a few. Yeah. Uh, and each one is a learning experience. You know, it's, it's the, uh, if you don't learn from your mistakes and you never progress and that's a good way to, to do it. So I, I go a little bit over the top, I think, uh, in my safety protocols, but that's also, um, you know, part of the reason I, I get to, um, to do this as a professional and make a decent, uh, pretty good, uh, living doing it, um, is because I don't take any risks with things. And I, I, um, anytime that there is a close call, it's the last time that I have a close call of that type. Um, I had one of these snakes behind me here. Um, I, you know, years ago, I was using a different type of enclosure than this, than these ones that you, you, you're looking at. They had a little bit more of a, a gap in this part of the door. Anyway, a snake escaped. And when I went to go turn on the light to the room, I reached and I couldn't find the snake. And then I realized that when I turned on the light, I had put my hand directly past its nose. I had crawled behind the cage and was oh, sleeping no. next to the... So my response was to uh, spend $10,000 buying all new enclosures that didn't have that little gap. And then I changed the light switch to be a voice activated one. So it, it, was, a, it was a close call in my opinion. The, the snake did not rattle or strike or react to me in any way, but I wasn't in control. And in this, this work, you have to be in control or else you, um, you're at the mercy of, of the animals that you're working with and that's not a way to, to survive. So um, just lots of things like that. It, accidents do happen with people. And I certainly um, am aware that the odds of me retiring someday without ever having uh, some sort of envenomation event um, are relatively slim, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do my best and try to do it. And just like if you worked construction, you, you might retire having lost a finger on a saw. If you work as a, you know, if you're a chef, you, you may lose, lose a finger as well or burn yourself someday. So there are, there are occupational hazards in many jobs. It's, it's, uh, it's how you approach those situations, I think, that um, make a close call um, different than, uh, than having dangerous work, if that makes sense. Yeah. But how long it took, uh, for your example, to get comfortable, you know, handling rattlesnakes? Um, well, I've, I've been around them uh, for a long time before I um, was doing this professionally. And a lot of it is kind of uh, as a hobbyist, you know, you've, you've probably heard of uh, birders, people that go out and look for birds, just uh, yeah. as naturalists, amateur naturalists. So I started and a lot of people do this too. It's called um, herping. It's a really unfortunate name for a recreational herpetologist where you just go out in the desert and go look to find snakes. And I've been doing that since I you know, since I could walk, I was going out and looking for snakes. And so by the time I moved to Arizona where rattlesnakes are very common, um, I, I did not have any fear of snakes. Uh, it was just more of a, 
uh, is more very interested in them. So it makes the handling of them much easier. Um, I would say that uh, at this point, you know, by the time I felt like I had a, a level of, of mastery with um, getting them out of different situations and um, to where uh, I, I, I don't really have a, any anxiety, um, you know, that happened pretty quickly, just a few years. Um, but I still get that sometimes if I go to a place where uh, I'm not entirely familiar with with what type of snake that is. You know, the first time I handled a, a wild cobra, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I learned very quickly. There's a learning curve on that. Well, if there are people out there who want to do the same thing as you, you know, handling snakes, you know, helping people, uh, what would you say? What would be your advice? You know, how to get into that business? Because obviously it's not like, you know, I go wild, you know, I grab the snake. Obviously you're not going to do that. Right. I would, I would carefully examine your personality and see if, if it's, if it's the right thing for you. Um, this industry, this hobby and type of work, um, it, it is the type that it, it attracts attention seekers, it attacks, attracts thrill seekers. It's a good way to build an Instagram following. If you just hold them and that kind of thing. All of those activities are very short-lived and they do not build a career and they do not help people ultimately um, for, for a variety of reasons. So that's that's what I would say is that if you if you are the type of person that, um, you know, if you are honest with yourself, are just holding and getting involved with rattlesnakes um, because it it's a it's an interesting thing um, to you and it makes people interested in you, um, I would just keep doing that. I wouldn't say that becoming a professional is, is necessarily your, your thing. You're not going to be, you know, that, that is too distracting. It is too contrary to the, the mission. Um, the, if you would find yourself in the other way though, if you're very methodical, you know, if you always use your seatbelt, even if you're in an empty parking lot, just because that's how you drive, you always do the certain things the same way and are very methodical about things um, and have a, just as much of a passion for talking to people about things as you do looking at snakes. Um, then, then this, we could definitely use your help. We could, <laughs> you know, we definitely need to have more people that are just kind of, uh, uh, not snake weirdos, but just normal people that like to talk to people as if they're other people. Um, I think that's what, what does it. So uh, again, a very, very careful self-examination of your motives is what I would encourage anybody thinking about doing this kind of work. Would you say rattlesnakes are, you know, generally speaking, aggressive or defensive? Because I've heard some people having an argument, you know, snakes are aggressive, then other people are saying, no, they're not aggressive, they are just defensive. Well, what's your take on this? Um, so they're, they're defensive to us. To a mouse, they're incredibly aggressive. Uh, to us, they're defensive. And I think a lot of people kind of see that as a semantic difference. Right. Well, what if you're defensively aggressive? You know, I mean, uh, a defending animal, and this is why I don't like to use the word aggressive ever, is because it uh, it tends to give you a, a, a wrong characteristic of what the intent of that snake is, what it's trying to do. Um, to where if you are attacking a defensive animal or defensive person and then stop attacking them, the fight is over. They don't continue to try to re-engage. They don't start it. They don't pick fights where an aggressive animal does. An aggressive animal um, does that kind of thing. 
it can seem a little bit blurry sometimes because there are incidents where people are just walking and step too close or step on a rattlesnake and it bites them. Is that an attack? Is I mean, the snake is defending itself, but you also, you know, you accidentally attacked it by stepping on it. So there are those things that make it kind of difficult to define. But I, I in all cases, defensive is an appropriate term. In very few cases is aggressive, uh, an accurate term. But if you're a mouse, a snake is a very aggressive thing. <laughs> They're going to come and get you there. <laughs> Their whole life is built around finding you. If you're just a guy on a mountain bike, uh, they're always defensive. Just leave them alone and you're good. Yeah. Um, before we wrap things up, um, I've got something interesting in mind uh, to end the show. You know, people listening already know that you know I like to do something different to end the show. Some people are learning about Estonian, which is actually my first language. And some people play a game at the end. So today's episode, I thought, I'm going to teach you some Estonian if you're up for it. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Just one sentence, no pressure. Apparently, it's one of the hardest languages to learn. So, <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, the sentence is, and I'll tell you what it means afterwards as well. Okay. I promise it's not anything, you know, ridiculous, anything <laughs> stupid. You have my word. Right. Okay. Lukis Matu, Eitaha. Do yeah. one more time. Lukis Matu, Eitaha, Sinthamustada. Okay, can I do it in pieces? Yep. Lukis Matu, Eitaha, Eitaha, Sint, Sint, Hamustada. Hamustada. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> that means rattlesnake doesn't want to bite you. Yes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's all it means. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole point. I could change my name and my business to that. And then if people read it and go, okay, then I'm out of work. I've done my job. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. I just made up a catchphrase for you. Great. Thank you. <laughs> In the stone, it's put it on a banner. Yep. Right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. On that bombshell, it's time to wrap things up and ride into the sunset until the next episode. So where can people find you on social media if you're into that kind of stuff? You know, anything you want people to check out, website? Yeah, um, we have a Facebook page that's very active where we talk extensively about rattlesnakes at people's homes and what they can do to keep them away. Mm. Um, that's just facebook.com slash snake removal. Um, we have a TikTok page that uh, we have actually, uh, you know, like uh, a lot over a million followers on there now. It says Rattlesnakes AZ on TikTok. Um, those are our main ones. And if anyone has any questions about rattlesnakes or if you've seen one out there and you just want to know what it is or heard a myth and want to know if it's true or not, you can email me at info at rattlesnakesolutions.com. Simple enough. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining me. It was a blast. I definitely learned a lot about rattlesnakes. So Great, thank you for thank this. You. Appreciate it. Anytime someone wants to hear me blather on about rattlesnakes, I'm ready ready and happy to do it. Well, maybe the next uh, second part at some point. All right. Know. Nice to meet <laughs> right. you. Thank you. Right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll, I'll see you next time. All right. Bye.